So good evening. I just wanted to start by saying what a great privilege it's felt like to be here this week studying these teachings with Andrea and Gil and each one of you. And now that we're coming almost to the end of this retreat, I've been contemplating how we might take these teachings back into our daily lives with us. And one of the things that struck me about this, uh, this set of four foundations that, is that they really are laid out as a practice, as something to be done, to be explored, to be investigated. So the Buddha didn't just describe the immense value of wisdom and of truth and of relinquishment and of peace. He gave us instructions on how to engage with each one of them in slightly different ways. So every one of those four foundations has a verb associated with it, has an action that we can put into practice. And that's what I'd like to explore a little bit now. So the first foundation is wisdom. And the instruction here is to not neglect it. And I find that a very interesting choice of words because to neglect something is to withdraw our attention from it, to stop relating to it in some way. And the opposite of that is to uh, maintain a healthy relationship with it. So one question that we might take home to begin with is how am I relating to wisdom or in the bigger picture to the Dharma itself? What's my relationship to it? And thinking in terms of relationship, the Dharma is probably the best friend you could possibly have. And on retreat at times, you may, uh, we can experience a, a deep intimacy with the Dharma. We can get so inspired, we might even talk about falling in love with the Dharma. But when we get home, things change and we, all the competing demands on our time and our energy can start to take over again. And it's very easy for this new relationship with the Dharma to just slowly start to fall away. So to use an analogy, it's as if we say to our good friend, I really love and appreciate you and I want to spend time with you every day. And this friend says, great, I'll see you on the Zabaton at 7 a.m. tomorrow. Tomorrow comes and we wake up grumpy, we didn't sleep well, we remember we've got that intense deadline at work, so we call a friend and say, you know, sorry, today's kind of busy. How about next weekend? Next weekend I'll really be able to spend quality time with you. And the weekend comes closer and I think you can all guess where this tends to go. Sorry, something's come up, have to feed my neighbor's cat, how about next weekend? And so it goes, and slowly the relationship can start to fade away altogether. At least for a while, until life gives us one of those wake-up calls, and then it's, hi, remember me? I'd love to connect if you have time. So fortunately for us, this metaphor isn't quite perfect, because unlike a regular human friend, the Dharma doesn't hold grudges. So. Even after a long time, it's still possible to reconnect and the Dharma will still be there for you. 
So if this cycle of inspiration and neglect, inspiration and neglect sounds in any way familiar, it can be helpful to uh, perhaps find a way of regularly connecting with the Dharma, with wisdom, of maintaining that relationship to it. So depending on your life circumstances, one very powerful way can be to make the commitment to regularly come on retreat. That can be so beneficial. Or if you have a local sangha to meet with them regularly, that also makes a big difference. If you don't have access to a sangha, then listening to Dharma talks and reading Dharma books, perhaps uh, online sutta study courses or setting up a book group with a friend can be really helpful. So there are many different ways that you might um, start or to maintain a more conscious relationship with the Dharma, with wisdom. And coming back more specifically to the wisdom in the sutta that we've been exploring here, the wisdom here is really that of seeing the three characteristics of impermanence, of unsatisfactoriness, and of not-self. And when we pay attention to our experience as described in the sutta in terms of the six elements or the six properties of earth and fire and water and air and space, and consciousness, we might begin to understand on deeper and deeper levels that everything we usually think of as me is just a set of impersonal processes arising and passing away. And then we can come closer to recognizing that clinging is the source of all of our dukkha and that nothing whatsoever is worth clinging to as I or mine. And we might glimpse this truth on retreat, but when we return to daily life again, it's so easy for it to be lost. And so the instruction with the second foundation of uh, the truth is to preserve it, to preserve it. So how might we keep preserving the truth? In daily life, we sometimes need to ask ourselves challenging questions from time to time to perhaps stop and do a kind of a practice review and just explore for ourselves, is my practice deepening? If not, why not? Am I living in in accordance with my highest integrity? Or are there some areas of my life where the foundations need shoring up? So we can think of preserving the truth in terms of integrity. First, we need to know our own deepest aspirations. And then from time to time, we can check to make sure that how we're living is really in alignment with these aspirations. This requires wisdom, discernment to know what serves and to know what doesn't. So we can keep testing in our own lives to see if we're heading in the right direction, away from dukkha towards the highest truth, the truth of Nibbana. And as we do this, we become more and more clear about what needs to be let go of, to be relinquished. And this, as you remember, is the third foundation, the foundation of relinquishment. And ultimately, this involves letting go of all forms of clinging. So as Gil said this morning, we can hear the statement such as, nothing whatsoever is to be clung to, and we might begin to notice the movement of the mind to rebel and to notice there 
What do I want to make exempt from that statement? So this doesn't mean that we have to drop everything and go and live in a cave in the Himalayas. The action with this foundation is to cultivate relinquishment. And this suggests to me at least a more organic letting go. And it's informed by the first two foundations of wisdom and truth. So the deepest letting go is not just of material things, but the relinquishment of greed, of hatred, and delusion in the mind. And when the foundations of wisdom and truth are strong, then we quite naturally turn away from what doesn't serve. We don't need to use an act of will anymore. The amount of effort that's required to let go becomes much less, and we start to have more access to the untroubled heart-mind. This is another way of expressing the fourth foundation, the foundation of peace, of ease. And it's interesting to me to notice that this peace doesn't just arise spontaneously because we want it to. It's not amenable to wishful thinking. So the association with this foundation is of training. The Buddha instructs us to train for peace. This means that we have to put the right causes and conditions in place. And again, we can see how these foundations work together to support each other. First, we need wisdom or discernment to understand which causes and conditions lead to peace and which lead away from peace. Then, we need a firm foundation of truthfulness, of integrity, to stay with that understanding even if people and society around us might be moving in a very different direction. And then out of these two foundations, relinquishment emerges, the release and letting go of more and more subtle forms of clinging. But we still need to keep training for this level of peace, to keep inclining the heart and mind in this direction. A couple of years ago, I read that in the Tibetan tradition, the word that's used for meditation literally means getting used to it. And I thought, that's perfect, because that's what this training is all about. We're getting used to all kinds of things, including the heart and mind at peace. Having that become more and more the default setting that we operate from. And the fact that we can train for peace is good news because it implies a gradual process. We can start exactly where we are and then little by little develop the capacity to know deeper and deeper levels of peace. Now, perhaps for some of you, this may be sounding a little lofty and abstract. And I know that in my own mind, I often need kind of concrete examples to to get a sense of this. Um, And so I just wanted to uh, share a specific and concrete example from my own experience of uh, how I use these four foundations at a time when I had to learn how to work with some quite strongly compulsive and unhealthy behavior. I was managing a retreat center at the time and it was quite stressful, so I got into the habit of playing uh, computer card games in the evening and I was still recovering from a repetitive strain injury from excess computer use in my previous job. But I noticed that over time, 
it will be two rounds and then three rounds and then five rounds and then it started to take more and more time and I would say to myself now tonight I'm going to go to bed early I'm going to stop the game would come to an end I'd say that's enough and then I'd hit start new game and it, this happened over and over and over again until one night I found myself playing non-stop for five hours until one in the morning and by the time I finally did stop my arm was so sore that I could barely sleep so I woke up the next morning with this strong self-judgment and exhaustion and frustration and I thought okay that's it I have to stop this and I made a vow to not play any more computer games that was 12 years ago and so far I've managed not to do it but there were many times when voices would say well the vow was about card games but there's plenty of ones with <laughs> words and pictures and they might be actually good you know they could help you to relax and it's like nope but some of those are really help with the mind and mental training nope <laughs> and over and over again I had to keep shoring up that boundary of, of truth of integrity and eventually I could see other people playing card games and there was no nothing there at all if anything there was a sense of relief and when I recognized that there was a real sense of ease and relinquishment and a kind of peace the happiness of the untroubled heart mind so that's just a very simple practical example for my own life and you may have some similar in your lives too but the idea is to use this as a template and to recognize in your own life how these might be playing out because when we can see them clearly then they can become a resource that really helps us um, towards experiencing the highest happiness which is peace so may all of us experience that highest happiness thank you for your attention so we 